How's everybody doing? Good, glad to hear it. Speak up, come on. I think this is, uh, I can't see, just a second. Helen out there somewhere? Helen, he's standing at the back. You guys are leaving today, this evening? Okay, so uh, the Herodos are leaving today, so make sure you say bye to them before they leave. Uh, next week, Amy's going to share with us. I'm looking forward to that. So next week, come and hear about what God has been doing in Amy's life, in and through Amy. Let me ask a question. Uh, how many have ever been rescued or have rescued someone? Rescued, been rescued, something like that. You know, some, some of the people here, their profession, in their professions, they do rescuing. Don Lee, he walked out on us. He was sitting there. He was a fireman, professional rescuer. I know Jeff is in the military, is a medic, professional rescuer, rescuing people. Uh, we have Dr. Coretta. Is Coretta here? Doctor. She rescues, rescues people. I know Steve, uh, Steve Reese, he's running our sand, soundboard. He tries to rescue people from having bad grass. And I mean the stuff planted in your yard. You know, rescuing, done some rescuing here. I had the opportunity to rescue someone once. We had some friends from uh, Nigeria. We had met a couple from Nigeria. He was actually deaf, and he was studying about how to teach the deaf. And so we'd invited this couple and their two kids over to my wife's uh, parents' home. And my wife's parents had a swimming pool, and it was a round swimming pool, and it looked kind of tame, but it kind of had this slope. And we didn't think any of it, but the, but the, the wife of... Couple's name was Victor and Benoit, and Benoit had got in the pool, and with her kids was playing around, and somehow it slid down from the deep end into the—I mean, the shallow end into the deep end—and she was standing on the bottom. It wasn't very, and she was just waving her hand like this, with her head below the water. There was not a lot of splashing, and I looked, and she can't swim, and she's got into the deep. So I dove in, and just a little push to the side. So that's my big rescue effort. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, today we're going to see uh, a man rescued, a man named Lot. In Genesis chapter 18, a couple weeks ago, or last two weeks we've been looking at it, we saw the Lord inform Abraham that judgment is coming to Sodom. Judgment is coming to Sodom and Gomorrah. And we saw Abraham try to rescue the people of these cities by interceding before the Lord. Remember that? That was last week. As Abraham interceded before the Lord, the Lord agreed not to destroy the city even if ten righteous, if ten righteous people could be found. But there, were, there weren't ten righteous. And as we know, Sodom and Gomorrah is destroyed. It was destroyed in the past and it will be destroyed in our passage for Actually, we won't get to it. Next week, it'll be destroyed. But before the destruction takes place, one of Sodom's citizens will be rescued. Again, his name is Lot, and he's Abraham's nephew. In chapter 19, we see Lot and his family, at least in part, part of his family, rescued from judgment. The Apostle Peter wrote of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. He wrote of Lot's rescue in 2 Peter chapter 2. Verses 6 through 8, we read these words. 
If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he, God, condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. We talked about that passage two weeks ago when I talked about the judgment that was coming when God, when the Lord announced to uh, Lot that judgment was coming to Sodom. Then we pick it up. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the, of the wicked... For as that righteous man lived among them day by day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Three times, verse 7, twice in verse 8, Peter calls Lot righteous, calls him righteous. But as we read Genesis 19, as we come to Genesis chapter 19, we'll get a very different impression of Lot. If you've read it, you know what I mean we'll see little to nothing of righteousness about this man. In fact, we may struggle to understand why Peter labeled Lot as righteous. Genesis chapter 19 has very little to do with righteousness. and In fact, most of what we will see would qualify as depravity, the opposite of righteousness. The men of Sodom will show us the world's depravity, and Lot will show us the depravity of a compromised believer. Sounds like we're in for a treat today, right? Excited? Depravity and stuff? So what can we learn from this depravity? I believe that in chapter 19 there are are a number of clear warnings of lessons for us. Because unfortunately... You don't have to aim in this, but unfortunately, we too continue to struggle with our sin. We continue to struggle with our own depravity. So we might see ourselves here a little bit as well and learn a little bit from Lot. Lot, in many ways, is an anti-hero. We can learn what not to do by looking at what he does, by looking at how he lives. And our lessons begin right at the beginning there in Genesis chapter 19, verse 1. Right in the first part of verse 1. The two angels came to Lot in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. The angels found Lot. And where is he? He's sitting in the gate of Sodom. This gate was a place where city leaders met to finalize transactions, business and legal transactions. It was a place of prominence and influence, a place for leaders It seems that Lot had arrived. The implication is that that Lot has become a leader in this wicked city of Sodom. Lot has achieved worldly success, but at what cost? If you remember, Lot started out well. We don't have a lot of detail about Lot, but by implication we can say he started out well. He was a faithful member of Abraham's household. And a follower of Abraham's God. Those that went with Abraham were followers of Abraham's God. The God of Abraham. The God of the Bible. He left pagan Ur. Remember Ur. Idolatrous, moon-worshipping Ur. And he went with Abraham. 800 miles he trekked with Abraham to to the promised land. To the land of Canaan. And then there came that point of decision where where it, it, it was decided that Abraham and Lot needed to separate. We looked at that in Genesis chapter 14. And and Abraham selflessly offered Lot the choice land. And Lot selfishly chose the lush land leading to Sodom. The lush land leading, remember that, three L's, lush land leading to Sodom. 
we see an interesting progression in the life of Lot with regards to Sodom. We saw in Genesis chapter 13, verse 10, Lot was looking toward Sodom. He was just checking it out. In Genesis, two verses later, in Genesis 13, 12, he was pitching his tent toward Sodom. He had moved a little closer and he had a tent out there, pitching it toward Sodom, heading in that direction. One chapter later, in Genesis 14, 12, he was living in Sodom. Now, 19, 1, he's a leader in Sodom. Lot is, uh, in many ways, the poster boy for spiritual compromise. Notice the gradual progression. He didn't jump from being by Abraham's side straight to leadership in Sodom. The compromise came gradually over time. And this is the pattern that we often see in our lives. Temptation, how sin and temptation work in our own lives. We see it from afar. It's attractive. We we think we like it. It's bright. The, The lights are bright. And we're tempted. We move a little closer. We allow that temptation to linger. We think about it. We dwell on it. We wonder what it would be like to live in Sodom. Then we go for it. We give in to the temptation. We commit the sin. We move in. And finally, we allow that, that sin to be a normal part of our life, of how we live. We're hooked. It, it's our, it becomes our leader. So what can we do to avoid this pattern? Well, we can ask, what could have Lot done to avoid ending up in Sodom? Well, clearly, Lot should have never been looking that way in the first place. Way back in Genesis chapter 13, verse verse 13, we read, Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. This is right from the beginning. This is right when Lot first started looking at Sodom. Sodom's wickedness is not a new thing. It just didn't jump up out of nowhere. Lot knew of it. And he should have ran from it, not to it. And the same is true for us. If we want to avoid sin, we have to run from it. Don't play around with it. Don't entertain it. Don't think you can handle it. The Apostle Paul gives some great advice. Some great advice on what, how to deal with, the, deal with temptation, how to avoid sin. And it's simple, but it's not magic. It's simple but it's not magic. It's not these words you say. Four different times in his letters, he gives the same advice. Really, it's a command. It's one simple word. Anyone have any guesses what that one simple word is? Flee. You guys are awesome. Man, why do I preach? You know everything. Uh, Flee. And we're not talking about the, the things that are on your dogs, right? We're talking about run, escape, fast, get out of town. Actually, in 2 Timothy 2.22, he gives another word of advice along with flee. It's in combination. There's a, there's a combo thing going here. Verse 22 of 2 Timothy chapter 2. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So flee, run from temptation, these youthful passions and and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'll be 50 in, when will I be 50, dear? Oh, November. I, wouldn't, I don't think anybody's calling me youthful anymore, but I still have these youthful passions. So it's, he's not just talking to, to youth. 
Flee youthful passions and pursue. That's the second word of advice. Pursue righteousness. Pursue faith. Pursue love. Pursue peace. Put simply, flee the temptation and pursue the things of God. When you're tempted, don't just sit and try to fight that temptation. Just don't, don't try to get it out. Oh, don't go into the cold sweats over this temptation. Don't, I know that I shouldn't do this, but I really want to do this. Replace the temptation with the things God is calling you to do. The things God has put into your life. Reading his word, prayer, ministry, service, sharing your faith, and so much more. Things of, of righteousness and faith and love and peace. Paul gives a, a, a final little word here in this verse, dealing with temptation. He says, and do it with others who, are, who call on the Lord from a, a pure heart. We're not in this alone. Do it in fellowship with one another. Flee the youthful passions. Pursue righteousness along with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. Be accountable to one another. I found it so helpful in my life to have men For me, it's men. It's good that it's men. For women, it would be good that it was women. Men who hold me accountable. Men with pure hearts. Not that they're perfect, but their hearts are are pure with regards to me. They want what's best for me. They want what's best for my life. And they'll speak into my life. They'll call me out when I'm failing, when I'm falling. So the visitors found Lot sitting at the city gate. Then beginning with the second half of verse 1, we read this. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Apparently, Lot recognized something different, something special about these visitors. Remember, do we know who these visitors are? These are the same three guys were meeting with Abraham. They came to Abraham to tell of Sodom's destruction. One of those three is the Lord. These these are the other two that that the Lord sends ahead into, into Sodom, angels, representatives of God, and and whether Lot understood they were angels or not, we can't be sure. But what we can be sure is that he did not want them to stay in the town square. Lot did not want them to go to the town square. He rose to meet them, he bowed before them, and he invited them to stay in his home. When they refused his invitation, he urged them strongly. Lot was not going to take no for an answer. He wasn't letting them spend the night in the town square. Why? Because Lot knew the wickedness of the city he lived in. He'd probably seen how fellow Sodomites had treated unsuspecting visitors. So he insisted that these two angels in disguise spend the night in his home. It looks to me like Lot's trying to hide the wickedness of Sodom from these messengers of God. Why would he try to hide something from, why would you try to hide something from men or from angels when God already knows everything? God is omniscient. He knows. That's just silly, right? Right? It might be silly, but we do it all the time. We're so much like Lot. I, I, 
sad to say, we're much more concerned about what people think, what people think about us, than what God knows to be true about us. Are there things you do, are there places you go, people you associate with that you are ashamed of? Do you hide these things from your Christian friends, even though you know God sees them? Are there movies or TV shows you watch that you wouldn't want believers to know that you were seeing? Are there websites that that you make sure to purge from your history so that no one knows you were there? We're so much more concerned about what people think instead of what God knows to be true about us. We're in many ways no different from Lot. Lot was trying to prevent the angels from having contact with the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. He had hoped they would enter his house unnoticed. He could sneak them in, but but he was tragically mistaken. In verse 4 we read, But before they lay down, the men of the city, before they, Lot and the angels, Lot's household, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Verse 4 says that all the men, both young and old, surrounded the house. This seems crazy, over the top. How was this perversion so widespread. It seems evidently, I think we can assume, that the older men in the city of Sodom discipled the younger men and boys in in this sexual deviance. Undoubtedly, there was sexual abuse in the homes. Made this practice seem normal. This was normal in the city of Sodom. And tragically, this continues today. In the U.S., one in three girls and one in four boys has been sexually abused before they reach the age of 18. Consequently, we live in a sexually confused society. Perversions of all kinds seem normal. I would say to, to us, the body of Christ, as brothers and sisters, as mothers and fathers, we can disciple our children in purity or allow them to be discipled in perversion. We can model and teach our children what healthy sexual relationships look like, or we can allow the influence of the world to do our discipling for us. If we do nothing, the world will by default exert its very powerful influence on our children. My wife last night was reading in Bad Time magazines, 100 Most Influential People in the World. You don't want to look at the list. Uh, the Pope was on there and, and uh, one other pastor guy, but the rest was, it was entertainers, politicians, people we really don't want to be the main influence for our children. So be proactive. Intentionally develop a plan. Intentionally. And I know there, there are many of you that do this. I know the families in our church develop a plan of discipling, tr- teaching, training your children in what it means to have healthy sexual relationships throughout their life. There are great resources out there that can help you with this. I, I've used a number of these books with my 
kids that are now adults. I'd be happy to make some recommendations. Sodom and Gomorrah have become the proverbial, the symbol of wickedness, perversion, and moral depravity. And most people are familiar with this, this sin that we're facing right here as we read, this practicing homosexuality, this, even beyond that, they're, they're grabbing people and, and, and planning apparently to rape these men. This is what's shown in this chapter. But remember two weeks ago when we studied in Genesis chapter 18, I addressed some unfamiliar sins that Sodom was guilty of. We talked about the outcry from these cities being great and how this referred to them oppressing one another and oppressing others. The prophet Ezekiel wrote in chapter 15, verse 49, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. Sodom's sins included pride. They had excess of food, but they had no concern for the poor and the needy. The prophet Jeremiah in chapter 23, verse 14 writes, But in the prophets of Jerusalem I have seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hand of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. All of them have become like Sodom to me and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. Certainly the, the sins of Sodom compared to Jerusalem here included adultery and lying, including helping those who do evil, just encouraging all kinds of evil. Now, from Genesis 19 and other passages in Scripture, it's clear that homosexual practice is sinful. God's original intent and best plan has not changed. From the very beginning, God ordained sexual relations to take place within marriage. Marriage between one man and one woman. The two leaving father and mother and cleaving to one another, becoming one flesh. However, we we need to be careful. Not to imply that this homosexuality, this homosexual practice is in a category by itself. That it's the the worst sin. That Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed only because of this sin. Those cities, as we saw two weeks ago, as we see today, were full of all kinds of sin. And and from God's perspective, sin is sin. That means the adulterer, the pornographer, the liar, the prideful, those who oppress the poor are just as guilty before the Lord. We in the church cannot condone homosexual practices. But neither can we single out this one sin and make it the only thing that God is concerned about. The sin of Sodom and Gomorrah and the sin of our world, all of it was and is grave before the Lord, and all of it will result in God's judgment. In chapter 19, verse 8, Lot responds to to the Sodomites' desire to know the angels with this insane and depraved suggestion. Behold, Lot says, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. Now, This is where if you had any respect for, quote-unquote, righteous lot, we, we lose it. This is a horrible offer that just can't be justified. 
We might understand it a little more if we consider, unfortunately, the low place of women in most ancient cultures and the very high value placed on a guest, especially if if Lot knew these were representatives of God. It was understood a a guest was to be protected even more than your own family members. However, Lot's response is, is sick, it's wrong. I don't have two daughters, I have one. And I, and I can't even fathom what Lot is saying here. How could a father even make such a statement? It's against reason, it's against nature, it's against love. It's against everything a father believes. How could a father make such an offer? Even though Lot believed in God, and even though, as Peter says... He was tormented by the wickedness of Sodom. His righteousness, Lot's righteousness, has been, has been corrupted by the total depravity of Sodom. He'd, been, he'd taken it in. He was making it a part of himself. This, this must be, it has to be a, a grave warning for you and I. Yes, we're to associate with unbelievers, with sinners... Jesus made this clear in both what he did and what he said, where he went, who he spent his time with. We're called to love them, to be their friends, to reach out to them, to share the the love of Christ with them. We're called to be in the world. But we must never allow the world's values to corrupt the righteousness we've been given by Christ. We are not of the world. So how do we balance between between being in the world and not of the world? I believe God in his sovereign grace and his mercy has provided the answer, the solution. And that answer is, is his church. His church, the body of Christ. We are we're to be in fellowship, in relationship with one another. We're to hold one another up in prayer as we go out into the world. We're to encourage one another as we face temptation in the world. We cannot, must not, no, never, will not attempt to live this Christian life alone without the support of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Sunday morning, coming to church on Sunday morning is is very important. I spend a lot of time so that this can be a, 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 a profitable time. Chad spends a lot of time that we can come together and And learn God's word. That we can worship the Lord together. Build one another up. This is an important time. But it's not enough. We need to have Christian friends. Whether in our small groups or in other places in our life. We need those who can speak into our lives. Those that can hold us accountable to one another. Notice that except for Abraham's rescue of Lot in chapter 14. Remember they separated in chapter 14. In chapter 14, Abraham has to rescue Lot when the four kings come down and take Lot away. Abraham goes and rescues Lot and other people from Sodom. As far as we can tell, Lot had no other contact with his spiritual mentor, Abraham, since he headed to Sodom in chapter 13. Lot was out there on on his own, and we can see the awful, terrible results. We see a father offering his daughters up be raped can there be anything more depraved more wrong more insane fortunately the the sodomites didn't take lot up on this this offer 
verse 9. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn, and he has, this is the men of Sodom speaking, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with him than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break down the door. So Lot's now in trouble. He's in the mix of it. They're ticked off at him. They were going for these two, his visitors. Now they're going after him. Lot Lot may have been a, a city leader, but his influence was pathetic. The men of Sodom identified him as a sojourner. He was just a, an alien, just a visitor. Instead of being salt and light in Sodom, Lot had become tasteless. He was good for nothing except to be thrown on the ground and trampled underfoot. Like uh, Rodney Dangerfield, Lot got no respect. He got no respect because he didn't deserve any respect. He was a leader in one of the most wicked cities on earth. And the city had clearly impacted him much more than he had impacted the city. As Christians, we need to ask ourselves, are we impacting our culture Are we allowing our culture to impact us? I fear that far too often the culture, not the church, wins the culture wars. God has given us the gift of the church that we might encourage and equip one another. Equip one another to go out and, and change the world. The church is to send and support not only missionaries who go to different cultures, but we amongst ourselves are to support one another. As we go out into our very needy culture. But unfortunately, far too often, the church, instead of being a a sending body, is is a retreating body. We give up our influence without a fight. This may have application with regards to political influence, but that's that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about our influence in the hearts and lives of men and women. My prayer for for myself, for our church, is that we'll be a people who have great influence. Influence for the kingdom of God in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our places of work. That we don't retreat from the difficulty of sharing the love of Christ, of sharing our, our faith with those in our world. That we don't give in to the world, the world that says, uh, religion is, is a personal matter. And you shouldn't It shouldn't be discussed. I don't really want to talk about that. I would ask you to join me in prayer for this, uh, I think, uh, small, but I think God can take small things and use them in big ways. This small backyard Bible club that we'll be having at our house next week. Christina and others, she's recruited others to go out into our neighborhood, and they've been doing some canvassing and inviting kids to come. My prayer is is that this backyard Bible club will influence our neighborhood for the kingdom of God. That both kids and their parents will be exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I I would ask even right now, would would someone be willing to just stand and and pray? And we could join with you in prayer for, for this backyard Bible club right now. Would someone be willing to pray? Pray for those who will lead and those who will come. That God would use our backyard next week for his glory and for the good of the neighborhood, that it would influence our neighborhood. Would someone be willing to pray, Beth? Would you pray? And Thank you so much, Beth. God desires us to have influence in our world. But Lot had no influence in his neighborhood, in his city. 
And that brings us to verse 10. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot, the men, the angels, brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore, wore themselves out groping for the door. Get the picture? They're struck with blindness and there's one around. They're still fi- trying to find this door. Wearing themselves out. As the men of Sodom were trying to break down the door, the two angels grabbed Lot, shut the door, and struck them with blindness. This is the first time the angels rescue Lot. They hadn't been there. The, who, who knows what these men would have done to Lot. He was, remember, he was trying to rescue them from the depravity of Sodom, but because of his lack of influence, he needs to be rescued by them. It's ironic that these men are struck with blindness. They are spiritually blind. They're spiritually blind to their own depravity. They're spiritually blind to who these visiting men really are. And now they're physically blind. This is a tragic picture of, uh, of the people in our world. They're blind to the things of God. They can't see the truth. The truth of God's love for them. They can't see the truth that He sent a Savior to rescue them from judgment. Sodom was beyond rescue at this point. Abraham had tried the intercession. There weren't ten righteous. But that's not the case for the spiritually blind in our world. There's still time to both pray for and warn them of the coming judgment. There's still time to share with them the glorious plan of salvation that God accomplished through His Son. A plan that provides rescue from judgment and even Lot is given an opportunity to share his, the, the rescue plan with his family. We read in verse 12, Then the men said to Lot, these are the angels, Have you anything, anyone else here? Sons-in-law, daughter, excuse me, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city. Bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people have become great before the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-laws who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. He seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. Lot will take his wife and his two daughters with him when he escapes. But when he tries to convince his sons-in-laws, the, the guys that are betrothed to his two daughters, that judgment is coming, they think he's, he's joking. Again, Lot has no credibility, no influence. They treated his message as a joke. What are you, what are you saying, Lot? That's crazy talk. It seemed that Lot had never talked about his God or his faith with anyone before. His words weren't part of a a lifelong testimony, warning of sin and judgment. There's something totally new. This is a novel thing. This is something to be laughed at. And therefore, he's not taken seriously. In our lives, do do we have a, a sense of urgency when it comes to spiritual matters? Do our children and our loved ones, the people in our lives, know that we're serious about the Lord? that we're serious about Jesus Christ, that we're serious about escaping from God's judgment through the power of Christ? Do they know that we're trusting in Jesus Christ alone to rescue us from the coming judgment? 
Or if we told them, would they go, huh? What are you, I, what are you talking about? I never, I didn't, I didn't know you believed that. I, are you joking? I'll be honest with you. I try to be honest with you most of the time. There are people in my life that I fear I've not been serious enough with about the gospel, about God. I've not clearly warned them that that judgment will come if they don't change the direction, if God doesn't enter into their lives. And I've also not made it clear of the joy that, that can be found in having a relationship with Jesus Christ in the here and now. They know I'm a Christian. They might even call me a Jesus freak because they have. But they really don't know the serious things of God. They really don't know the things of eternity. Are there people in your life like that? People that you spend a lot of time with even. They don't know how serious God is about eternity. How serious you are about your relationship with Jesus Christ. And now the angels get serious with Lot. Verse 15. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Take up! Apparently Lot's just lying around, because it's to get up first. Take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. The ticking, the, 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 what's that called? The, the time bomb is ticking, and it's go, heading to zero. Verse 16, amazing words. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. The angels warn Lot, this is serious business. Judgment is coming. It's about to fall on Sodom. They tell him there are great consequences to the sin of this city. But he delays. He lingers. You would think Lot would be, would be running, would be up and ready, would be packed, ready to go, ready to run out of the city gate. You would think that Lot would have been grateful that someone had come to rescue him and his family. He would have obeyed immediately and headed for the hills. But he lingers. This sinful city, the city, sinful city life had its grip, its hold on him. Lot was so attached to this present world of, of family and friends and power and material things that he just couldn't bear the thought of leaving it all behind. So he lingered. Do we linger? When God gives us clear direction, when he commands us to flee from this or that temptation or sin, to pursue the things of God, do we linger? Do we hold on to what we think, and we only think it because it isn't true, what we think is bringing us happiness? Really, we, we aren't much different from Lot all too often. We want to be rescued from God's judgment but we also want to hold on to the things of this world. I recently read this story that illustrates the danger of lingering. Dr. George Sweeting wrote, Several years ago, our family visited Niagara Falls. It was spring, and ice was rushing down the river. As I viewed the large blocks of ice flowing toward the falls, I could see that there were carcasses of dead fish embedded in the ice. 
gulls by the score were riding down the river, feeding on the fish. As they came to the brink of the falls, their wings would go out and they would escape from the falls. I watched one gull which seemed to linger and wondered when it would leave. It was engrossed in the carcass of a fish. And when it finally came to the brink of the falls, out went its powerful wings. The bird flapped and flapped and even lifted the ice out of the water. And I thought it would escape. But it had lingered too long so that its claws had frozen to the ice. The weight of the ice was so great, and the gull plunged into the abyss. Are we like Lot? Are we like this gull? Do the attractions of the world become deadly when we become overly attached to them? Do we stick our claws into them and can't get out? If so, they may take us to our destruction if we can't give them up. There's great loss when we linger in the things of this world. But as Lot lingered, and as we linger, we see what is, I don't know if you caught this, the most mind-blowing thing in this entire passage. And there are some mind-blowing things. Even as Lot lingers, as he's apparently not going to move, God still exercises his compassion and delivers Lot as he delivers us. He rescues us. What a reminder. I mean, Lot is just sitting there and they have to grab him. And and in God's mercy, he grabs him and takes him out. What a reminder. What a picture that our rescue, our salvation, is not based on our personal righteousness. Our rescue from judgment is completely dependent on the, the mercy of God. His love and his grace and his mercy. So that's where we're going to leave our text for today. I was actually, uh, this is crazy, I was actually planning to do the whole chapter today. Then I realized, that, that's stupid. <laughs> Next week we're going to pick up in verse 17. Next week we'll actually see the destruction of Sodom. Next week we'll see Sodom destroyed and we'll see what happens to Lot. We're going we're to finish up with Lot. If you haven't read ahead, if you haven't read this story before... It's not a pretty picture. It doesn't get any better. Lot, our anti-hero, the poster boy for spiritual compromise, the one who I'm afraid we have way too much in common with, his story does not end well. But our story hasn't been fully written. Through the love and the grace and the mercy of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the opportunity to be transformed. In summary, Lot had two main problems. He had allowed the world of Sodom to influence who he was and what he did. He had compromised. And this resulted in his second problem. He had no influence on his world. He had become too much a part of Sodom. He couldn't have any impact on it. We need to learn from Lot's bad example. We need to flee the influence of the world and pursue the things of God so that we might have influence in this world, that we might not be changed by the world, that we might become, through the power of God's Spirit working in us, that we might become world changers. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for your word and so much it teaches. Even in, even in the bad examples, Father, there are things for us to learn. There are things for us to See, there are things for us to apply to our lives. Lord, I pray 
that we would not be like Lot, that we would not linger in our sin, that we would not linger when you've commanded us to go, Lord, that we would not compromise, that we would not allow the world to impact us, to change us, Lord, but we would be people that go out into the world, that we would be people that have influence upon the world, influence, not our own influence, but the influence of Jesus Christ, that you would work in and through us, that we could be your ambassadors to this world. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.